Time again for another Word Balloon podcast. John Suntress here. Today, we highlight two new documentaries that have blown me away with their respective stories. First, it's Best of Enemies. Co-director Robert Gordon joins us to talk about the hotly engaged debates between intellectual giants Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley. The two despised each other, and their mutual hatred came out on live television during the 1968 presidential campaign. ABC hosted 10 live debates during the presidential convention season, and the two men sparred over issues of the day that still resonate in the political arena. The resulting debates were as compelling as any classic boxing match, and I am excited to talk to Robert today on Word Balloon about uh, the exchanges and the documentary itself. Then... Lucha Mexico filmmakers Alex Hammond and Ian Markowitz join us to talk about their excellent story, which is an entry in this weekend's New York City Doc Festival. The film explores the history and traditions of Mexican wrestling and the Arena Mexico, home to the Lucha Libre telecasts and matches. We see the stories of current wrestlers like Shocker, Blue Demon Jr., John Strongman, and others, along with the arenas and Lucha Libre's past. Another great story, very interesting, very multi-layered, and uh, pleased to talk to Alex and Ian about that in part two of today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, as always, for your support. If you enjoy the content you hear here, go to wordballoon.com, click on the patreon.com link, and it'll take you to where you can subscribe to Word Balloon. You don't need to. Word Balloon is free. It'll always be free. But if you like what you hear and you can spare the extra dollar or two, uh, subscribe to Word Balloon, and I thank you for your support. It makes it easier for me to travel to get uh, some of these great interviews, and uh, I thank you, as always, for your continued support here at wordballoon.com. Word Balloon is also sponsored by Amazon. And as you know, Word Balloon has its own Amazon store. Uh, these are two uh, examples of uh, things that you could find at Word Balloon's Amazon store. Uh, if you click on the links at uh, the various advertisements you see on wordballoon.com, it will take you to the uh, Word Balloon store and through the Amazon portal. And uh, if you buy something uh, through uh, wordballoon.com into Amazon, Word Balloon gets a kickback. It never costs more money than uh, if you just go on amazon.com. All it does is gives us a little thank you referral money uh, because Amazon knows you came from Word Balloon. So uh, if if any of this stuff you hear today interests you, I advise you to check out some of the ads on wordballoon.com and go through to the Amazon store. Hey, it's Christmas time. These are two great things that you might want to consider uh, picking up when they become available. All right, let's start things off with our conversation with Robert Gordon about Best of Enemies. As it says on the Magnolia Pictures website about the film, in the summer of 1968, television news changed forever. Dead last in the ratings, ABC hired two towering public intellectuals to debate each other during the Democratic and Republican National Conventions. Vidal and Buckley believed each other's political ideologies were dangerous for America. Vidal was coming off his recent publication, Myra Breckenridge, featuring a transgendered woman who takes revenge on the Hollywood insiders who screwed up her life when she was a man. William F. Buckley was one of the leading conservative voices in the 1960s, creating the magazine National Review and hosting his own public television show, Firing Line. Like rounds in a heavyweight battle, they pummeled out policy and personal insult, their explosive exchanges devolving into vitriolic name-calling live on television. They kept viewers riveted. Ratings for ABC News skyrocketed, and a new era in public discourse was born. In fact, it's uh, fair to say that uh, some of the sniping you see between pundits might trace back to these exchanges back in 1968. Really happy to welcome Robert Gordon to talk about Best of Enemies right now on 
word balloon. Happy to welcome Robert Gordon, the director of Best of Enemies, co-director, I should say, an excellent documentary about uh, Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley and uh, their very public uh, wars that resulted in uh, 10 debates during the 1968 presidential uh, campaign. It's a pleasure to talk to you, Robert. Thanks very much for having me on. You know, I, I was blown away by the film. I remember by reputation... Uh, a lot of the wars between Buckley and Vidal. I was a, a kid while a lot of their uh, main uh, arguments were being thrown back and forth. And I think I was four years old in, uh, during that summer of uh, 68 during the presidential campaign. But it really is an interesting kind of domino effect of, of what brought these debates together uh, because uh, ABC at the time, the third network, was such a, a lowly, uh, uh, I guess, uh, f- bud- budgeted network. They were kind of like the CW of its time. I guess the joke was they were probably fourth, <laughs> probably fourth place in a three three network race, right? Yeah, someone said uh, that the way to, to end the Vietnam War was to put it on ABC and it would be canceled after thirteen weeks. <laughs> so they they couldn't afford gavel to gavel coverage of the election. So they come up with the idea of let's do a series of debates and uh, a, an hour or two hour package at night, kind of recapping the events along with it, head to head debates. Uh, and they they wanted Buckley and they asked him who who he would like to debate. You you take it from there. Well, yes, they asked him who he'd like to debate, and he named a few liberals with whom he was friends. And then they said, well, who would you not like to debate? And he thought about it a moment and said, well, on principle, I wouldn't de- debate a communist. And the only other one I can think of is Gore Vidal. And I'm quite <laughs> sure that ABC's next call was to Gore Vidal. <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 and then they both, you know, they had already, by 68, they had appeared in print and on TV uh, battling each other, so their, their, their enmity was well established. And, um, and ABC knew they were going to get fireworks, but I don't think that they expected the forest fire they got. Absolutely. And it was it's really fun to see, and, and it's so easy to compare to today's issues because, um, I mean, God, uh, transsexuality is right there on top. Myra Breckenridge, Vidal's uh, novel, oh, yeah. comes out in February, you know, about uh, about six months before these debates are happening and everything. And as far as Buckley's concerned, that's red meat to kind of dance around. Uh, and, and it was very interesting, especially early on, uh, how much he did kind of dance around Vidal's homosexuality. And, you know, I mean, it was it was a question that had already been presented to Vidal for many years after his, uh, his 1948 book, uh, City and the Pill. So, I mean, you know, it was, I guess, fair game, but pretty racy stuff for the 60s and kind of amazing 40 years later that it's still this very hot button issue that is, you know, a point of contention. I had come across, you know, not only the, the homosexuality and transgender themes that were going on then, but really when I saw a uh, DVD of the Raw Debates, a bootleg DVD of the Raw Debates. I was um, struck by how contemporary they were and uh, that, that how not only uh, the issues that they discussed, but how these two guys engaged with each other was so contemporary. Um, and as you mentioned, you were four at the time. You know, we, we knew that, uh, that though these guys had been... Uh, preeminent thinkers in America in the latter part of the 20th 
century here in, in, in 2015, many people, many people didn't know them. So a lot of the movie is about the context, so you know who these people are and what the issues are. And I think that, um, you know, we use a very soft touch in, in making it contemporary because these guys do it themselves. Plus, you, you watch older footage of shows like Meet the Press and some of the other panel political shows of the day that still exist now, and it really was a much more gentler time. But because these two guys didn't like each other, this is like watching, you know, one of the current presidential debates or a, a good argument on Fox News or MSNBC. And, you know, they really kind of let fly, especially, and we'll get to it in a second or two, when, when Buckley mm. really loses his cool and, and, and you know, does this unprecedented. I'm assuming unprecedented things, certainly in 1968. But yeah, just the the yes. uh, the level the level of, of personal attacks. You know, I, I you see you see you saw this uncut uh, footage of, of some of their debates. Did they ever get to the candidates? I mean, obviously for your film and for the, pur- <laughs> <laughs> for the purposes of your film, you really focus on the on the personal attacks between the two guys. Yes, well, you know, uh, they do. And we and we touch on it, you know. Uh, we they do get to the candidates, and more importantly, they get to the issues. Okay. And we, you know, and in the movie, we allow we don't really dwell on the candidates because that wasn't germane to our what sure. we were doing. But we do we do get to the issues, and we let them get to the issues. Um, but really, as you point out, they 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 have a hard time getting past the personal attacks <laughs> on each other. I feel like. You know, this this began. There was there were, these debates began with the Republican convention in early August '68, and they end at the Democratic convention in late '68. And I feel like that in that arc, when this begins, um, there there's more. It, it, when this begins, it's the end of one era, and when these debates end, it's the beginning of another era of of politics on television. We go from, um, you know, there's personal attacks throughout, but the balance changes. And the, when we see people today having these, uh, you know, these attacks, it's really name-calling. And there's not, we don't get much content. We just get, you know, you're a rat fink or whatever. <laughs> but but in, in, in the beginning here, these guys, you know, they, they were both, they both brought so much to the table, a command of economics and philosophy and politics and just all that. They brought all that to bear, their dialogue. But by the end, by the, by the penultimate debate, they're, you know, they're reduced to calling each other names. Yeah, these are two real intellectual masters, and uh, I kept thinking, I'm a big boxing fan, and this really is like uh-huh. watching this kind of verbal boxing match, and truly, uh, I think Buckley, as you say in the film, you both say that he maybe underestimated uh, Vidal just slightly, and, and these guys really had such a wonderful command of... Uh, facts, but also how to present them on television, and as you say, really elevated, or well, I guess elevated, or or in some cases, uh, unfortunately, generations later, maybe the discourse has gotten a little lousier. But back then, I mean, yeah. again, you had real intellectual facts backing these up, and it really is exciting watching these two guys exactly. really, you know, face off and counter each other. And it is, it's like a great fight. It really, I mean, literally, like almost like a great physical fight, but all with words, all with darting looks at each other, and no, very compelling television. 
Somebody in the movie calls it verbal blood sport, and I really think that's what it is. And we use the boxing bell, yes. you know, uh, to make our subtle analogy. Um, we're we're in an era where we don't really have on TV anymore public intellectuals, and and the very term I think uh, you know uh, makes people's eyes go 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 uh, cloudy. But but seeing these two guys, we're reminded that. Public intellectuals were really witty, and they had a real command of television and theater. And and like you said, this is exciting to watch. Absolutely. And uh, well, you know, they the the great thing is is it seems that Buckley the entire time dancing around Vidal's sexuality to kind of prick him and mm-hmm. not, and not really get to it. And then uh, finally, in that second to last debate, you know. Uh, Vidal uh, tells Buckley, he's, go. "Yeah, he, crypt- he calls him a crypto fascist Nazi," and Buckley loses his shit, and he absolutely calls out <laughs> Vidal and and calls him a queer in 1968 on network television, which is just live network television, unthinkable. Yeah, absolutely, live exactly. network television. Un- yeah, yeah, so it was never cut. Everybody saw it, and uh, just wow. And the great thing is the reaction of both men afterwards. And I'm really glad that you point out anecdotally that Vidal immediately, when they cut to commercial, goes, hey, this is great. And Buckley is beyond, like, shaken. And, you know, it's really this crazy thing where the guy who thought he was delivering maybe the knockout blow is actually the guy that's really more damaged by what he said rather than the recipient. Yes. um, Part of why I think this is so engaging is it's a slow burn. (laughs) Now... You know, TV scientifically has figured out how to get the most uh, fireworks in the shortest amount of time between the most commercials. Whereas these guys had 15 minutes a night, um, and and the tension just mounts and mounts. It's like good sex, you know. Uh, they're 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 it's long and drawn out, and then <laughs> when this explosion happens. It's so startling, but but it's been waiting to happen. It's like a it's like a long fuse that's been waiting to happen. Absolutely, and and as you say, you know, modern TV would easily just first of all they'd pre-tape it, and they would at least hint <laughs> at that moment, and you'd see the fire. And don't forget tonight, you'll see William Buckley lose it, and what is Gore Vidal's response exactly. tonight at nine? Exactly. Yeah, and instead, exactly. This... Let's play that again. Roll the tape back, boys. Let's see that again. Oh yeah. Whereas when they did this on live TV, uh, as someone. You know, we, 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 we spoke to some ABC uh, uh, executives, and, and he, he recalled being in the room and the ashen-faced men, you know, who see this, and they go, oh, my God, can they say that on TV? And, you know, it's too late. They already have. <laughs> you know, I'm a huge Howard K. Smith fan, and I got to see him oh, speak in the 80s at my college. And, you know, he was one of the original Murrow boys at CBS before going exactly. to ABC. Is there any record of his, um, you know, reactions to those debates or even that, you know, one moment? Well, OK, a little bit. Um, uh, um, hardly anyone asks about Howard K. Smith. So I'm going to take a moment to give him his due. Okay, There's please. a couple things to, to, uh, to, to note about him here. One is, as the, as the moderator, in, 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 when we look at him, you know, in our time looking back, he's remarkably absent in a positive way. He realizes he's got, he's giving the floor to these two guys. He knows that, that you know, now you see people, you, you know, 
the moderator is doing all they can to dominate the the show. Whereas here, he doesn't want to get in in their way. Basically, he tosses out a question and gives occasional guidance. And I feel like sometimes in those questions, he's he's reaching for words just beyond his 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 intellect. And a couple times, uh, like he says at one time, you know. Uh, he asked Buckley about something. Does does this impregnate you with ideas? And Bill says, "Well, that's not a word I would have used, you know." But okay, and 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 he goes on. Uh, and and at the same time, I think that as impressed as Howard K. Smith was by these two guys, in a way, he also thought this was a little beneath him. As a Murrow boy, he had this, um, you know, this 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 high regard of. Journalism and what ABC was doing in '68 was uh, was was not traditional journalism. They weren't doing the gavel to gavel coverage. Right. They were just doing this color commentary at the end of the night. I think Howard K. Smith was a little uncomfortable with that and thought perhaps this was beneath him. So, so it's a complex, it's a complicated position for Howard K. Smith. But I think he does the job admirably. And one of the things I like most is, uh, and it's really quite funny, after this explosion between Buckley and, 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 and Vidal, which, you know, after, after he calls them, after they call each other names, Buckley says, you know, I fought in the infantry, and it's basically, you know, step outside, and yes. let's, go to, let's go to fisticuffs. Um, and Howard K. Smith, you know, has to rein it all in, and, uh, and when, it's, when he's got it back under control and he's saying goodnight, he says, well, we had a little more heat and a little less light this evening, you yes. know, and I think, it's, I think it's a very, very sharp commentary. Absolutely. No, this is amazing, and also the aftermath of the debates. As you say, there was one more, but really it was that stinging moment that, that stayed with Buckley and, and the fact that both men – like in, within a year, I mean, it really was several months later in Esquire, both, you know, respond mm-hmm. with essays about that incident right. still. Like they still can't get, or I should say, maybe Buckley still can't get over it. And Vidal seems very happy to oblige and have a counter essay. And then, of course, that leads to a several years lawsuit. And, uh, just... Lawsuit that goes on and on. Yeah. <laughs> so that, 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 that lawsuit, that lawsuit was, uh, you know, as someone says, it, 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 it provided endless opportunity for the practice of malice, which, which I think particularly Vidal loved. He's a guy who, who would say, you know, beneath my, if you crack my cold exterior, you'll find ice water runs in my veins. <laughs> so he was, someone, he was someone who prided himself on, his, on the um, bitterness, which he took as sucker. Um, and it's interesting that whenever Vidal, whenever Buckley was asked about this incident, because it did haunt them all their lives, you know, the, the, the lawsuit finally ended when, when Esquire couldn't afford to go on anymore, and, and they paid off uh, Buckley's legal fees, and Buckley makes a, a, uh, a uh, press announcement that, you know, he's won the debates, and Vidal is incensed because that's not what happened, but because no one understood it anyway, now they think that's what happened. So Buckley is asked about, and Buckley's finally trying to get rid of it. You know, he's he's lost his cool, which basically means he's lost the debate, and uh, and he can't and he can't get over it, and it's led to this lawsuit. And whenever he's asked about it all his life, he he demurs. You know, no no comment, or you know, he doesn't say anything. Whereas Vidal, 
for all of his life, you know, and they lived for another 40-something years. Right. Whenever Vidal is asked about it, it's like he always has one more hand grenade in his pocket, and he pulls out the plug and takes the opportunity to toss it at Buckley one more time. That's the irony. I mean, you really feel, and especially the way the political uh, movement uh, changed, and as you guys say, laid the way for Reagan and the the uh, conservative movement of the 80s and 90s to happen uh, on a very personal right. level. Uh, Buckley doesn't like, I think, the fruit that his seeds, you know, produced. And then further, Vidal, who seems to be the guy that gotcha, you know, and had that moment of I made him blink, you know, uh, his dissatisfaction in the in the years to come. And I think you guys play that out in a really interesting way that, uh, you know, again, it's a great, great story. And I and I congratulate you both on a, on a really compelling documentary. And, you know, really, when the opportunity came to talk to one of you, I, I jumped to it. So so really, thank you. Thank you for doing this. It's out now. And I know you guys sent me the Blu-ray uh, and I know that it's on some of the streaming networks, I'm, I'm assuming, right. to rent or whatever. Is it available everywhere, cable, satellite, and uh, streaming? Progress is, right now it's on iTunes and Amazon. Um, it will have a uh, live on Netflix. I'm not sure when that begins, okay. but it's uh, iTunes and DVD right now. Excellent. Yeah, and I and as you say, Amazon as well. I'm, a, I'm an Amazon guy. Amazon, yeah, Amazon and Blu-ray, yeah. Yeah, the Blu-ray's great, and there's lots of other uh, interesting, uh, you know, extras on there, more commentary from a lot of your talking heads that, that really flesh things out. We spoke out. to some great people. Absolutely, yeah. you we do. We spoke to great people, and we had to get them involved, yeah. So we, 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 we filled the DVD with about over an hour of extra commentary from people like uh, Christopher Hitchens and Bill Buckley's brother Reed and... Uh, I think uh, Frank Rich is on. There's just a number of people on there who are really compelling. Absolutely, man. And again, comparing uh, the way political discourse happens now and also the way it plays out on the Internet to compare it to the media outlets of 1968 and and forward, it's really interesting to contrast uh, because this is something that likely would have hashed out between – I don't know, townhall.com and then the Huffington Post or, you know, name your favorite conservative yeah. and liberal websites. And it's kind of interesting this, the way that it played out in traditional media in the aftermath. So great job, honestly, yeah. Robert. I, I, I thank you. I know we're out of time, so I'll wrap up and say I, I really appreciate it. Uh, Best of Enemies is available now on Blu-ray, on iTunes, and currently on Amazon Prime Video, uh, soon to be on the streaming networks as well. But Robert Gordon, congratulations. Excellent documentary. And thank you for talking about it today. Much obliged. Thanks for having me on. So there you go. Best of Enemies is available now on DVD and Blu-ray. Also digital download at uh, iTunes. And as we said, the Amazon store. You can check out the trailer on wordballoon.com or go to iTunes and Amazon and watch the trailer. Also, several of the debates are uh, on YouTube, uncut. And I suggest uh, you either see them as a warm-up to uh, the DVD or uh, afterwards. But uh, really entertaining stuff from Buckley and Vidal, captured well by uh, the filmmakers. Uh, thank you again to Mr. Gordon for joining us, and I really look forward to uh, his next project. All right, we move on now to uh, part two of Ward Balloon, and that involves Lucha Mexico. As I said earlier, Lucha Mexico is the story of Lucha Libre, the Mexican wrestling television show that uh, originates from Arena, Mexico. Uh, It also has live events as well. The documentary is incredible. It's part of the NYC Doc Festival. And in fact, uh, happening this Friday, November 13th, at the SVA Theater, 
Uh, also on Wednesday, November 18th, filmmakers and special guests Guapo Shocker and John Strongman Anderson will be uh, joining the filmmakers for a live Q&A after the uh, film, and they'll be there for autographs. This is a really interesting story. And uh, in Mexico, as here's the description of it. In Mexico, the war between good and evil has been waged each week for decades, thrilling generations of fans with the spectacle of Lucha Libre. Real-life superheroes and villains, these mass wrestlers work tirelessly to entertain their legion of fans, gaining unprecedented access to the largest Lucha federations. Alex Hammond and Ian Markowitz offer an entertaining, no-holds-barred look at some of the sport's top performers, from the 100% guapo shocker uh, and uh, American bodybuilder John Strongman, just to name a couple. Unbelievable personal stories in this film, and really happy to have the opportunity to talk to Alex Hammond and Ian Markowitz, co Directors of Lucha Mexico. Let's hear that conversation now on Word Balloon. I have the co-directors of Lucha Mexico on the phone right now, Alex Hammond and Ian Markowitz. It's a pleasure to talk to both of you. Welcome to Word Balloon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Congratulations on such an excellent movie. Um, I really do love it. I, I've been a longtime wrestling fan, but I've always been uh, fascinated in particular with uh, the Lucha Libre show, which is obviously the focus and the backdrop for, for your many stories that you cover in Lucha Mexico. Uh, tell me what it, you know kind of intrigued you about doing this project. Well, I've, I've always been a wrestling fan. I've been a wrestling fan my whole life. Um, and, you know, Lucha Libre is always something that lurked in the background. You know, it's not not been the easiest thing to find, you know, in any given era on TV. I think it's a little easier now because everybody's got a million channels. But um, back in the day, there was something very mysterious about it. And uh, in wanting to do a wrestling film, I always thought, well, it would be great if that was sort of an angle. Um, and then Alex, uh, being Mexican-American, she had obviously an interest in, in the Mexican side of it, but also had wanted to do a, a bullfighting movie. And I was showing her um, some Lucha Libre footage, and, and she was sort of like, oh, that's the movie. That's the thing. That, co- that combines everything we're looking for in, in, into one, you know, and so it just became this thing. What cities did you guys grow up in? I grew up in, in uh, New York, uh, White Plains, and in Stamford and New Canaan. I was, I was actually born and raised pretty much in, in and around the Stamford, Connecticut area, which is where WWE, uh, that's where their headquarters has been forever. So, you know, we've always felt that little bit of connection there. Okay, because I'm from Chicago, and, and even I think in the 70s, I want to say, we, we, we got Lucha Libre. You know, because, you know, we had a healthy enough Spanish population that we, we got yeah. a lot of Spanish television. So, yeah, see, that's the thing. Up, up like in Connecticut or something like that, you just wouldn't have seen that. It understood. Was, you know, and there was a lot of regional wrestling, too, that was shown, you know, in, in, in the parts, but just not Lucha Libre as frequently. Lucha Libre was something you would catch, you would see it. It was certainly on the Spanish channels, but not, not consistently. And I would imagine... You know, when I was growing up. I would imagine, Alex, not growing up a fan necessarily, you having this outside of perspective must have really helped the balance of the film, and, and maybe you discovered some storylines that, that maybe Ian on his own might not have considered. I, I don't know. You tell me. Correct. Um, you know, my mom's Mexican. I've, I've grown up going to Mexico all my life, and you know, when this came about, um, obviously I was bringing you know, a different side. I could communicate most of these wrestlers speak in spanish so uh, sure. obviously i had to be a big part of that um way of getting in and 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 really just trying to capture that side of things and and get to the heart of what really is what they why these guys do what they do um 
I think I became a serious fan. I, I, I give it a lot. To, I give. I owe a lot to Ian because uh, you know I, did, I wasn't into wrestling before, but I'm truly you know big fan now, and and we just love it. We just try to get to as many wrestling shows as we can. And, so. That's excellent. Did did you know going in? Did uh, Alex? Did you have a list of of specific wrestlers you wanted to kind of cover, or in you know, going I, down there? Yeah. Did you you know both of you, or did you yeah. find as you discovered the, you know these people? I think you know when I first got into you know wrestling, you know for me it was the mask. You know I was always I envisioned a film about just a, char- a cast of characters with masks, you know, sure. and, th- and that was what was fascinating to me. Who are these guys behind it? Can I get close? Can we figure out, you know, who these, you know, superheroes are, these um, mystery men and women? Um, and I think that, like, that's the thing. Like, as you, you know, we didn't have, like, a set idea, but I, th- I did think at first it would be, like, a blue demon type. But as we got in there, you know, you realize these guys are super secretive, the women, too. And, you know, we, we realize there's so many different interesting wrestlers down there. It's not just mass wrestlers, obviously, as you see in the film. I mean, the, the, the guys without the mass, the women without the mass are the ones that are going to let you in a little closer. And, and uh, their storylines are just, just as important and, and interesting. No question. And, yeah, Shocker, uh, I think, really is a, is a very you know, well-rounded person. And that's, I, you know, I covered boxing for a really long time for sports radio and mm-hmm. magazines. And I always feel this kinship to uh, professional wrestling. And, and that's the great thing is you see them in their, in their fights, but it, it takes a documentary like this to really get to know some of these people. And they really do have these amazing life stories of just them even going about their every day. You know, you show Shocker at Sam's Club and he's constantly being stopped and getting autographs. And it's just this oh, really yeah like seems like this incredibly decent working class guy that his day job is or his night job i guess is you know he's out there on stage throwing people <laughs> around and it's kind of cool it's totally oh yeah weird. well and the, the great thing about a guy like shocker is that he uh you know i think there are certain guys that you'll meet along the way in in wrestling anywhere where they you know they just don't want to interact with the fans that much they want to, they're divas and shocker is not really that shocker is definitely one of the wrestlers and we found a lot of other people like him in Mexico uh, who want to be with the people. They want to stay there and sign autographs. If they're, you know, we go to a movie with Shocker and half of the people are coming up to him for autographs, he's not complaining. I've never seen him complain once. He never says, you know, I can't do it. He'll be there forever and he will sign autographs regardless if he's at dinner. I mean, you obviously don't want to bother the guy when he's eating dinner, but that said, he's not going to make a big deal out of it. Sure. And, and I think that that spirit was just incredible to find, that generosity and also that you know, connection that they have to the people. You, you guys mentioned Blue Demon, and I, I am a huge fan of those 50s and 60s wrestling movies that oh, yeah. were like wrestler versus a monster. Or aliens, yeah, yeah. and yeah, yep. man, those—that is such. I mean, and obviously that could be a documentary on its own, but it is that culture oh, that really does it fascinates the hell out of me. And also, you know, Word Balloon. Uh, I do a lot of comic book interviews and 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 talk about the superhero genre. And uh, Alex, as you say too, the the masked wrestlers fascinated you, but it really was this like amazing part of the culture that even persists today. Not only in the uh, wrestling itself, but you know, I know of a lot of luchador comic books that are made here in America, and I'm, I'm guessing the same might be the, uh, in Mexico, of, you know, these personas that, you know, can, you know, have more adventures beyond the ring. And I just love oh, yeah. that. Yeah, no, that's, that's partly why we wanted all this sort of comic book art to represent the characters. Um, 
you know, just because that, that, that is a big part of it, what it is down there. You know, as Blue Demon says in the film, you know, the original Blue Demon was, was Batman and Santa was Superman. They, they yep. were more than just wrestlers. They were, they were heroes. They were superheroes. They could be a lot of different things. And, you know, I saw those movies as a kid. I've always thought those movies are interesting because they're, they're campy on one level, but on another, we didn't have movies like that. We didn't have, you know, a whole slew of Batman movies. Sure. We just had you know, that TV show for, for so many years. So they were almost like ahead of the game in that way. And understanding and placing wrestling like in that context, it makes it exciting, you know? No, I agree. And, and I, I don't know, is that something that you might want to uh, pursue as, a, as another documentary? Or did you feel like you got your wrestling <laughs> jollies out of this one or whatever? Oh, you know, there's so much more. There's so much more. We could keep going. So, you know. <laughs> it's so true. It's a massive world. I mean, again, we could have taken so many different angles on this film. You know, it could have done a historical thing. You could have just done a mass thing. You could just be like, this is exactly what Lucha Libre is about. I mean, for us as filmmakers, I think, you know, we wanted to get you in. We didn't want to be holding your hand through the whole thing. Hopefully we, we can reach all audiences, you know, people who don't know anything about it, but, but fans, and, you know, I, I think um, I think it is. I think it's like a, sort of a world that keeps giving, <laughs> keeps on giving, because it's just, there's so much there, and yeah. it's frustrating for us, too, as filmmakers, because, again, we had to cut, you can imagine how many, we had over 500 hours and four years of shooting, so... We had to cut lots of wrestlers and great stories out, and um, so hopefully we'll have lots of different versions. Or, well, or hopefully we'll have an opportunity to, yeah. I mean, the, the truth is, there's like, we probably have a whole other film there, so, you know, hopefully we'll have the opportunity somewhere along the way to, to uh, you know, continue on with some of this. It's not, it's not totally a closed issue. Okay, okay, and I know, uh, and we're going to talk about the festival that the, the movie's going to be shown oh, at, yeah. but I'm interested, too, um, in, in general, where documentaries are right now, because I, I really think, luckily, as a, as a film goer, we're in a really great time because beyond uh, the occasional art house theaters and what always was the traditional like path for documentaries, now with streaming and all these other digital platforms and online platforms, a lot more people have the opportunity to, to see a documentary like this. And, I mean, I, right now you're on the festival circuit. Is there a plan uh, alongside the festival circuit? I'm not really sure how it works in terms of uh, people being able to to see the film right now yeah I, I think we're, we're really to be honest we're really just started okay. um, so this is our first US screening um, and the plan is obviously as this goes on we're going to play to a few other festivals and then roll out and then we'd like to get it to be honest we'd like to get it to the people as soon as possible sure. to us that's the most important thing yeah we're not um, looking with a film like this to you know to, to push it through like as a festival film there are certain films and festivals with you know that that's its own world this is really more for um, I think people who would be interested in oh, yeah. Lucha Libre or uh, you know and, and in that way we'd like to just get it directly to them so obviously it's fun to have your movie in a theater but also you're you're very right that streaming opens up a big door for that and uh you know being able to get it on you know netflix or or amazon or, or itunes or whatever it may be I, I think that's how a lot of the people who would see a movie like this are going to find it so it's great that we have that you know but we're, i mean but regardless i mean doc nyc is really exciting i mean we've screened our last film there it's a it's an amazing festival with a hundred documentaries amazing films and and so, you know, we want people to come out, and, and because Chalker's coming, John Strongman's going to come out. Fantastic. Uh, it should be a fun night. Yeah. And, um, again, like, I think, again, we're giving a little something different to people of New York. You know, I think we're, we're ready to see a different side of Mexico and something fun and actually just entertainment. 
and that's going to be uh, the weekend of uh, the, the uh, Friday, uh, Friday, November thirteenth, nine forty-five at SBA Theater. Okay, and, um, and, and also SV- we have another. Say, say the theater again because I talked over you. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, it's Friday the thirteenth at SBA Theater on Twenty Third Street. Very cool. Excellent. You know, another interesting thing about the film is you talk, I mean, these are things that we take for granted, especially the diet of American wrestling that we get uh, on American television. You guys talk about the political unrest in Mexico, uh, and we get it really straight from the wrestlers, too, that especially the one, uh, was it Ivan Salazar? Uh, no, Tony. Tony, yeah. Tony Salazar, excuse me, a former wrestler that now, uh, you know, uh, trains young wrestlers and works security at the Arena Mexico. And he talked about how, you know, in the old days, there were there was a lot more wrestling going on in the various cities of Mexico. But because of, you know, unrest and everything, they're just kind of dangerous places and they, they can't do it anymore. I'm assuming that's the case. Yeah, I, I, that was actually Shocker's father, um, you know, uh, Pato... Sorry, uh, he he talks about it because uh, yes, it's true. I mean, Mexico has been through a lot. Um, the border, especially, and the, there there were big arenas all over, and they had to close them down because of security. Um, but the truth is, you know, those are the big big arenas, right? But there's still so much. I mean, every night and all over Mexico, there's a lucha show. Well, know? there are tons of smaller gyms and smaller arenas, and and places where they'll they're known to just set up, you know, put up a tent and put in put in a ring, you know. Um, it, it really is everywhere. But it is true that, that there was a stretch there, I think, where things got pretty bad. And not to say that they've totally pulled out of it necessarily, but um, it was really dangerous for a moment. And there were a lot of venues that just couldn't make it through that. Did you guys have any trouble where you were shooting, uh, you know? Uh, you know, not 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 terribly. I, I think... I think um, there's an interesting level of respect for the wrestlers that that more often than not people don't want to mess with them. Uh, so there's, there's always a sense if we were traveling with them, you know, it was almost like having a bodyguard. Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, everyone like the the, the uh, promotion people were always like, "You're gonna your cameras are gonna get robbed. You shouldn't be going there." But honestly, Ian and I like we were next to like uh, like a wrestler all the time. You know, we never felt. Um, nervous about it. I think actually the only time that we ever had a true like weird experience was in um, Tijuana, but I can't name the promotion. But that was a weird, weird, weird experience. Uh, yeah, we've definitely had some <laughs> had some moments that were not you know uh, totally on the up and up. But okay. but yeah, regardless, it's been it was a po- it really was a positive. Again, you see families. I mean, it's it's yes. a true like family spectacle. You know, no, everyone it was, it was having a good time. It was adorable. Absolutely, the kids are, are just like you know they're meeting their superheroes. I mean. It was great. And also, you got that as much from the grandparents and the parents as well who were as excited. In fact, as yeah. you said, like, Shocker's eating. And the one father's like, hey, I'm really sorry to bother you during your meal. And he's like, no, sir, no problem. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, yeah, no worries, man. Let me let me get your autograph and everything. It's good. Yep. That's beautiful, man. That's great. Yeah, no, it's fun. I mean, it's such a great world. I mean, again, like, there's, there's that, like, side that's just so just amazing. And actually, that's the majority of it, you know. But then there's that side of this, like, really endurance test for these guys, you know, what they put their body through and is, is just remarkable. I mean, to me, that was like, why do these guys get back in the ring? Why do these women get back in the ring? You know, it's just, it's, they love it, you know? It's, yes. 
to the to the point, unfortunately, of uh, you even explore a couple uh, deaths as well of some of these uh, prominent uh, wrestlers. And I'll let people see the film to kind of see which specific deaths you focus on. But yeah, it's heartbreaking. Um, you know, it, it it's interesting because we, there was that film years ago. I'm sure you guys are aware of Beyond the Mat. Um, of course, yeah. Yeah, and and the great thing is this is a different flavor and a whole bunch of other stories. And I think balanced with some of the sad stories that you guys explore, as we say, there's really a lot of upbeat and just really nice things. So it's it really is this wonderful pastiche of, you know, happy things and, and sad things as well in this film. Well, it's, it's life. I mean, that's the yes. thing. You know, a movie... I, I won't get into it too much, but a movie like Beyond the Mat was very interested in focusing on the negative in a lot of ways. Sure. And, um, you know, that's fine. There are some interesting things about that movie. I'm not going to, you know, totally put it down. But at the same time, we were like, you know, is that really the, the full experience or, or is this very skewed through a specific perspective? And our hope was to do something that when the wrestlers themselves watched it, they would go, oh, yeah, that's, that, that's it. That's the world. That's what we do. You know, and, and by doing that, I think they were, you know, by allowing them to feel comfortable that that was our approach, I think they were able to open up and give us something that was very honest, you know. And and so, yes, do people die? I mean, do people have accidents? You know, there are injuries. There's a whole list of things like that. But it ends up being this endurance test for them, and they keep going and going. And, and to be there capturing that, I think, was, was very interesting, you know. We got this range, this, this world, this very colorful world. Were you guys able to figure out any differences uh, that you could quantify between uh, lucha wrestling in Mexico to uh, the product we get in the United States or in Japan? You mentioned that briefly in the film, um, and I, I just wondered yeah. if you guys yeah, were able to kind of distinguish any real big differences. Yeah, I mean, I think for, for the first thing um, is, is obviously, like, just the culture around it. I think that um, in Mexico... Uh, you know, it's more of a family event. I think that in the U.S. it's a little different, but Ian could probably expand on that. Um, I think also, again, there's all these sort of interesting aspects of it. There's a losing the mask. There's, like, the hair mask. You know, there's there's all these, like, different, um, I guess, details that just, just make it a little bit more rich, I think, in some ways. Um, that's just the way that I, that I felt. Um, and, again, I think in Japan, you know, the, the audience is a very different audience, you know. So I think that's the first thing I'd say that is so different between all wrestling is the audience. Yeah. Well, I will also say that, you know, one thing they bring up, um, and, and various wrestlers mentioned this to us, and we didn't want to get into it that much in the film necessarily, but they do see a big difference being that, that in the U.S. there is definitely an emphasis on the entertainment part, but more specifically on, like, storyline, on mm -hmm. angles talking. and talking. <laughs> yes. Talking, talking. And, and in Mexico, you know, like, listen, you can go out in the U.S., I think, and do a bad match, and people will say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's the storyline, you know. Right. And they might be more forgiving. In Mexico, you're going to tend to have a situation where, like, the storyline's not that important, and if you go out there and do a bad match, people are going to be angry. They're going to be, like, pissed at you. Sure. You know, I mean, I've been in audiences, don't get me wrong, in, in the U.S. where they get pissed because, you know, they don't like the finish or they didn't like something about the match. That, that does happen, but you expect it to, you expect to kind of be screwed with on some level. Uh, in Mexico, you're you're expecting a good match, and if you don't get it, you know that that. So the 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 performances are not that different, but I think the approach to them is different. Well, and there's, well, okay, and then if to expand, just last thing, sorry, um, no, no, it's about the, you know, it's really about like the 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 um, style, of course. I mean, right, it's just, right. there's a lot, but now you see WWE, we see luchadors, you know. I mean, I guess the Mexican they brought them up all the time, of course, but there is more of that acrobatic. 
um, you know, those moves that just that really came from Mexico. And, um, and, and, you know, it's just evolving. I think that just people love seeing these guys. It's like, I mean, they're amazing. I mean, not only can they just, like, fly and flip out of the ring, but they can also, like, be on the mat and wrestle, you know? Well, and I also think you capture, to close, uh, the mystique of the arena Mexico, where they fight um, in particular, because it, I'm assuming it is their mecca, like Madison Square Garden, and that. And and I, I, you know, I'm a I'm an old time sports fan, and I really do love seeing the old sports stadiums and stuff. And you even have footage of them kind of setting up for a big match, and you're seeing them kind of roll out the chairs and the the uh, the turnstiles for people with tickets and everything. And you get this the 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 flavor of the arena really comes through as well. Oh, it's a really Great distinct game. thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm glad to know that, that you feel that from it because the, when you're in Arena Mexico or, you know, Arena Coliseo or Coliseo in Guadalajara, like those, any of those venues, they, they have such like this like palpable like feeling of, of history and of, of, you know, everybody's there because they love being in this thing. They're, it's it's fun to be there. Like you, you feel a real energy. And the history, like all the people that work there, again, we could have made just a movie of that, you know, and we did actually make a movie of that in a way, not in the, maybe this version completely, but we, you know, you talk to the lifelong people that work there. They've been there since they were, you know, in their teens, and these old guys are, are, are selling Cokes and yeah. Coronas, you know. It's yeah. really cool. Absolutely. And also the I, I loved uh, seeing, uh, you know, John, um, John, is John Strongman, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, he came to Chicago. He was at uh, one of the comic conventions just this uh, oh, yeah. last April and everything, and it was great to talk to him. I wish I had known he's about amazing. the film. Yeah, great guy. And I think you really kind of, you know, he's that um, stranger in a strange land, although he seems very comfortable now uh, there, and it's great to get that kind of U.S. wrestler perspective through his, car- you know, his portrayal in the film as well. Yeah, well, we always thought, you know, that it would be helpful partly just because it was an angle on the film that I had been interested in before we kind of ended up doing what we did. I, I liked the idea of a guy from the U.S. has to go down there either to build his career up or to rehab himself or something. We we met a, a several people from the U.S. who some are known wrestlers. Obviously, we have, you know, Matt Bloom, Higante Bernard in there. Um, mm-hmm. But, but you know, having John there was a really interesting thing to us because it would help us cross over and show, you know, John is down there and he is comfortable and he is a stranger in a strange land and he is being helped along kind of by Shocker, you know, as a guy. But, but still, like, he was able to go down there and find his way in and, and be actually very successful. It was, it was fascinating to watch, you know, and he had a love for going there and doing it, too. That's excellent. Yeah, it reminds me of, like, Warren Cromartie and some of the American baseball players that, you know, ended up in Japan. And, and, and that kind of thing. So, no, tremendous film. It's called Lucha Mexico, and it's playing at the Doc NYC uh, Festival this coming weekend as, as we release the episode. And, uh, again, we'll remind people of uh, it's Friday night. And give me the details again of where uh, New yes, Yorkers can next, Sure, next Friday, the 13th, yep. uh, 9.45 p.m. SVA Theater, and as well on Wednesday at 4.45 at Bowtie Cinema in Chelsea. But the Friday night's going to be the fun one. <laughs> Shocker and John Strongman. Yeah, yep. that's excellent. No, that sounds great. Uh, co-directors Alex Hammond and Ian Markowitz, I really appreciate your time. Congratulations on the film. I hope it does tremendously well, and I really look forward to this coming out on uh, on Blu-ray and and hopefully in some of the streaming and uh, and uh, you know cable platforms and satellite platforms so people can see this excellent film. Oh, well, thank you thank so you, much, John. It's our pleasure. Thanks so much. 
There you go. The filmmakers behind Lucha Mexico. Now, this film is not available yet to uh, stream or purchase on DVD. It's still in the festivals. And as we said earlier, it's uh, at uh, the SVA Theater in New York City, Friday, November 13th. And then Wednesday, November 18th, it'll be at the Bowtie Chelsea uh, Cinemas. Check it out, Lucha Mexico. And uh, keep your eyes open for it when it comes uh, to DVD and streaming, because this is an excellent film, and I highly recommend it. That's why we're talking to these people today. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Ward Balloon. Uh, Thanks a lot for listening. John Suntra saying thanks as always. Questions or comments about the show, reach me via email, john at wardballoon.com. You can follow me on Facebook under my name, John Suntras, or uh, you can also join the Ward Balloon Network page on Facebook. Uh, If you like the show, do me a favor, uh, write a review of it on iTunes and uh, rate the show. Always appreciated. And uh, as always, thank you very much for uh, your attention and support. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2015.